Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, just for this glorious honor and privilege we have to dig into your word together, to worship together, to fellowship together, just to be together, Lord. Uh, when so many throughout the world uh, suffer persecution for what we're doing right now. We thank you, Jesus, for the freedom that we have to worship and most importantly for the freedom we have from the slavery and bondage to sin and death uh, through you, Lord Jesus Christ. So we praise you and worship you and thank you today, Lord, and pray that your Holy Spirit would fill our hearts as we dig into your word. May we understand it, Lord. May we understand the glorious truth of the gospel message that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Help us with that today, Lord. Encourage our hearts, strengthen our faith. Lord, awaken faith in those who haven't believed, Lord, and strengthen faith in those of us who have. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. We are working our way through the book of Romans, and we're now finishing up chapter 9. Please turn to Romans chapter 9. We'll be at the end of that chapter. And we'll continue to see and understand more and more of God's plan of salvation for Israel and the world. It's really what we're seeing unfold here in the book of Romans. You know, what is God's plan of salvation uh, for Israel and the entire world? In chapters 9 through 11, we see what's going on in the plan of God for the salvation of Israel and actually the rest of the world for that matter. And we get answers to some difficult questions. <laughs> Like, why has Israel rejected Jesus? And, and what's the point of the law anyway? And how does that factor in? You know, and as Pastor Rob, you know, said a moment ago, I hear people talk all the time. And I don't even know if they really understand what they're saying. But they'll say things like, well, I, I'm an Old Testament Christian. And I, I just look at what the Old Testament has to say. And then I hear other people say, well, I'm a red letter Christian. I, my Bible's got the Jesus red letters in there. And those are the Jesus words. So that's what I believe, just the red letter stuff. And the other stuff, I just kind of edit that out. And then I have other people say, well, I'm just a New Testament Christian. And I don't go back to that Old Testament stuff. And you hear all kinds of stuff like that. And so Romans 9 through 11 is helping us understand, you know, the purpose of all of these things. This entire book is relevant. Yes. <laughs> the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, every word in it matters for our lives today. So be careful when you start to think like that, like, well, I don't like that part of it. Or I don't understand that part over there. So I'll just leave that out and focus on this part over here. Man, I did that in my early walk with the Lord. Like, I didn't like some of the things Paul said. Right? That didn't fit the way I wanted to live. So I'm going to leave that Paul stuff out and go with the red letter stuff. Because that's Jesus's words. You've got to be careful with that. You know, this, this is all God's word. All of it. Uh, and so if you don't like that, then that, that's God trying to teach you something. <laughs> and you probably need to repent and get right. Confess to the Lord, hey, help me, God. Help me. Help me, Lord. So what's the point of the law anyway? We'll get into some of that. You know, and what's the big deal about Israel anyway, too? You know, why should we even care? What's the big deal about Israel? And why should I even care 
as a Christian in Youngsville, North Carolina, if Israel is saved anyway? Why does that matter for me? Why do I care about that? We'll get some answers to all of these uh, questions as we work through this text together. Here's a summary up to now of what Romans is all about. It's actually a summary of the book. As I was working through the, these passages, I was trying to look at it in the, the greater context of what Paul is trying to teach us here in the book of Romans. And a summary, you know, this is, this is my summary of it, based on everything we've seen up to now and what I've seen and reading ahead and studying ahead. That God has a plan of salvation for all mankind, not just Israel. So, you know, we need to know that and understand that as a church. God wants all of us, Jews, Gentiles, otherwise everyone, to understand that we're saved by his mercy and grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how everyone is saved. Jewish people are not automatically saved simply because they're law-keeping Jewish people. And us non-Jews, we cannot save ourselves simply by being good people. When we, when we properly understand these things, we will understand that there's, there's no room for boasting and pride in our lives. So as soon as you start feeling puffed up that, you know, I'm a pretty good person and I deserve this and that and the other, you're, you're in a bad place. And one of the points of this book, the book of Romans, is to help us see, you know, you know, we're all sinners. We all deserve death and wrath. And we're saved by God's grace and mercy alone through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no place for boasting at the cross. There's no place for boasting at the feet of Jesus. There's no place for boasting in our lives at all, Jew or otherwise. And we will not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to when we understand these things. We won't think and act pridefully toward each other when we understand these things. Instead, we will humbly serve and love each other. That's one of the main points of chapter 12. We really should be, in light of all these great things that we're learning, we should be loving each other and serving <coughs> each other. And that humility and love and service will help all of us to live in unity and harmony with each other in this world. That's really the main points of chapters 13 through 16. <clears throat> when we understand these things, we'll, we'll be more patient with each other. and we'll, we'll really look to build each other up in the church rather than criticizing and judging each other for our differences. That's a main point of chapter 14. And this love and unity in the church will show the world that we love Jesus and we follow him. The world's watching. The world's watching. Everything we do matters. You don't think they're watching? You're wrong. They're watching you at work. They're watching you in your neighborhood. They're watching you with that Jesus fish on the back of your car when you cut them off and give them the finger and yell out the window. They're watching you, right? They're watching you, right? So be careful. Live in love and service and humility. I've seen people do that, by the way. Baffling. And our love for each other will be the point, will point the world to Jesus, and it will bring glory to God the Father. That's what this is all about. All this love and service 
Jesus said what? You know, they'll know that we are his disciples by what? How we love one another. Right? So this isn't just an academic exercise for us to walk through the book of Romans and know all this great theology and understand all these things. It's about our love for God and for each other. And understanding all of these great theological truths, it really, it really makes that love you know, more rich of an experience in our lives. You'll understand it more deeply in your heart. And, you know, as we sing some of these hymns, it might actually bring tears to your eyes when you understand the depth of these truths. We'll deepen our understanding and our love for God and for each other. So let's keep unpacking the verses of Romans chapter 9 together. We're at Romans chapter 9, starting at verse 22. <clears throat> In this section, verses 22 through 33, um, well, let me read the whole text, and then we'll work at 22 through 26 <laughs> together. So let's look at Romans 9, 22 through the end. <clears throat> Romans 9, 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. That is if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so let's look at verses 22 through 26. And we're going to see here, if you're taking notes and you like to have bullet points and all that good stuff, here's the first one. God's calling and election is not limited to the Jews only. God's calling and election, his choice to save, is not limited to the Jews only. He says there in verse 22, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? So there's the patience and mercy of God that we see. Why? In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And then he quotes Hosea. 
As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call the loved. And in the very place where it was said of them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Now, what in the world is he talking about here? What does all this mean anyway? Well, I'm not going to go into depth on verses 22 and 23, since Pastor Rob covered those well last week. But I do want to point out the contrast that we see here. We see that God's mercy is appreciated and seen clearly as mercy when it is displayed against the contrast of his wrath. Did you catch that in there? You see both his wrath and his mercy together. The riches of God's glory are seen more vividly when contrasted against the wrath demonstrated to those who reject God and rebel against him. All of us have sinned, and we richly deserve the wrath of God, every one of us. But he has endured this rebellion with much patience in order for the riches of his glory to be made known clearly, vividly, in those he has called for salvation. Listen, God is patient and kind. And it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance and salvation. It's the kindness of God that leads us to salvation. So when we're sharing the gospel with others, uh, let's do so in a spirit of humility and kindness, not in a you know, judgmental, prideful, I'm right and you're wrong. I'm going to beat you up with God's word to convince you that you, know, you need to believe. And that's not... That's not the right approach. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So an application here for us is let's show that same kindness to others as we share the truth of the gospel with them. Now, what verse 24 highlights is the calling of the Gentiles. That's non-Jewish people, pretty much all of us. The calling of the Gentiles to faith. And I want us to see here that God's calling is effective. It creates faith in the one who is called. And those whom God has effectively called are not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Praise the Lord for that. Otherwise, we Gentiles, we'd have no hope. Now, what do I mean by effective calling? You'll hear that in theological circles quite a bit. God's calling is effective. He has effective calling. Well, I mean that God has the power to break down strongholds of unbelief in the life of those who are called. The call here is the call of the gospel. You hear people say a lot of times, too, you know, God's calling me to this, or I, I sense the call of God in my life, or, you know, those types of things. Well, in, in a biblical context, that call is the call of the gospel right here. And it's by this call that both Jews and Gentiles were, were summoned to believing obedience and to a new identity as sons of the living God. And the Apostle Paul is a prime example. He was a zealous killer of Christians. 
basically going in a completely opposite direction of you know anything christ-like and anything supporting the church he was going after the church to kill the church destroy the church all zealous for god that he was doing a great big thing for god and then god called him and all of that changed in an instant all of that changed Paul was saved by God's mercy and grace through faith in Jesus and became the most zealous of all the apostles. And some of you here have salvation stories kind of like that. You are running as fast and as far away from God as you possibly could. But one day, one day, that all changed. It just changed. Somehow, some way, it's a mystery, God broke through you know, all that hardness of your heart, and you believed. That's how it happens. One day, Jesus is stupid. I don't care about that. I don't whatever. The next day, Jesus, you are the treasure of my life. How did I ever live without you? like that so god's calling is effective it accomplishes his purposes to save god's not up there in heaven biting his nails like oh boy i hope my green will believe <laughs> you know oh boy i'm a little bit worried i hope so and so you know hits his path just at the right point you know, i'm sure worried about that no when god says today's mike's day of salvation you better believe today's mike's day of salvation his calling's effective. You believe. And he does this work in all mankind, Jews and the rest of the world, non-Jews, all the nations. Verse 25. The inclusion of the Jews and the people of God is not surprising, since that is clearly taught in the Old Testament scriptures. What is amazing is that Gentiles are also recipients of God's mercy. Now, to the Jews of Paul's day, the Gentiles were particularly deserving of God's wrath. Unclean, worshiping idols. Ugh, we can't even go into their houses and stuff. You know, I can't. I got to stay out of there. I'll be unclean if I go into that guy's house. They deserve God's wrath. So their calling into the church through Paul's ministry, Paul says, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. So their calling into the church through Paul's ministry, it just highlights God's mercy in a way that the inclusion of the Jews does not. God's plan of salvation, mark this, has always been for Israel and the nations. And here we see the calling of the Gentiles, and it's receiving a special emphasis here. Since they are mentioned first, talks about the Gentiles first. And he quotes Hosea in explaining the call of the Gentiles. And he quotes Isaiah the prophet concerning the remnant of Israel. God is calling only a remnant from Israel. This is also very interesting. Only a remnant from Israel. We'll get into that in just a moment. Whereas large numbers of Gentiles are streaming into the church. Now, th this is astonishing. So try to put yourself into that, you know, first century church 
mindset there. You got a church with Jews and, and Gentiles in there. And God's bringing all these Gentiles into the church. And it's only a tiny number of the Jews that are being saved. And what's going on here? What's happening? This isn't how I thought it would be. Paul's trying to get at that. He's trying to help us understand it. It's opposite of what the Jews would have predicted and expected. Not really if they really knew the scriptures, but they really didn't as well as they should have. A lot of us don't know him as well as we should either. Paul's teaching that this was the plan of God all along. It's not a new revelation. So it's always God's plan. And so Paul, he quotes Hosea here in making this observation concerning the Gentiles. Now, it's a very interesting quote of scripture. Because Hosea prophesied against the idolatry, the idolatry of Israel. He was prophesying against Israel when he wrote his book. Israel had fallen into the worship of Baal and had rejected the Lord. Baal is these you know, other gods of that area that the Israelites would commonly fall into worship of. And so Israel was worshiping Baal. They had rejected the Lord. And in chapter one of Hosea, the Lord rebukes Israel for their idolatry, and he called them literally, not my people. Ooh, that stinks. God telling Israel, you are not my people. You're just so far gone. You've committed adultery against me, Israel. You've left me. You're gone and worshiped other gods. You're like a harlot. You are not my people. Oh, it just stings. Then in chapter 2, which Paul quotes in our text in Romans, Hosea prophesies of the mercy of the Lord. So you see the mercy of the Lord. Even in the Old Testament, where everyone thinks he's throwing lightning bolts from clouds, God's showing mercy. And he speaks through Hosea. He says, those who were once called not my people will be called my people. Even though, Israel, that you have sinned and turned against me, and I have called you not my people, there will be a time once again where you will be called my people, Israel. That's what Hosea writes. Now, Paul quotes this text concerning the Gentiles. It was written for Israel, but now it's being applied to us. He takes the rejection of Israel so seriously, you know, not my people, not loved, not my people, it's repeated, that he feels justified in using this text as an argument why God has included the Gentiles as vessels of mercy. Because if Jews had sinned so greatly that they had really become a no people to God and then could be declared again to be a my people, if Jews can go from a status of a no people to a my people, then the Gentiles can also. The Gentiles, who are a no people, could also be declared a my people of God also. Gentiles were a no people. We had no covenant claims on God, but now God has sent his effective call and many of the Gentiles are saved, and they are part of his covenant people. 
we get to take part in the covenant blessings and promises because of God's mercy. I want us to understand that today. We have that privilege because of God's mercy. And through faith, us Gentiles can be called sons of the living God. Now that's great news. That's amazing. I mean, we, we should have lots of smiles and joy in our hearts, smiles on our face and joy in our hearts because of that. You know, someone asks you how you're doing. Well, you know, we have a lot of first world problems over here. Yeah. But hey, I, I'm doing fantastic. I'm a son of the living God. I'm a daughter of the living God for the ladies. We are children of God. Yes, we rejoice in that with great joy. Even though we got a lot of first world problems, we all do. And he did this in my life and he can do it in yours too. Through faith, you just believe in Jesus and trust him for salvation. And so we see that God's calling includes the Gentile. Now, in 27 through 29, we're going to see that only some, a remnant of the Jews, are included. And this is from Isaiah. Look at verse 27. So we've seen Hosea. Now we're looking at Isaiah. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us an offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Now, in verses 27 through 29, Paul is quoting here Isaiah to support the other half of the verse of 24. Gentiles are included. He supports that from Hosea. And now he quotes Isaiah concerning Israel. Now, notice the point, verse 27. Only some of Israel are saved, a remnant. Now, what is a remnant? It's not a rug or a carpet. <laughs> it's not that. Not in this context, anyway. I just hear those commercials on the radio all the time. A remnant is a small part of something that was once part of something very large. It's like a small group or a small thing of something that was very large. And in this context, it's a small number of Jews that will be saved as opposed to all the Jews. And Paul here is, is concluding his argument that began with God's promise to Abraham. And so as often as this happens, all these promises are going back to Abraham. Seems like we go back to Genesis every week when we are preaching through these texts because it goes back to Abraham. And he's using Isaiah to do it. He quotes first Isaiah chapter 10, verse 22. And, and in that, God declares that even if the Abrahamic promise of descendants as numerous as the sands of the sea comes true, like there are a lot of be a, there'll be a lot of physical Israelites out there, only a remnant will be saved. Only a small portion will be saved. Now, this, this also, it forms a link with the passage from Hosea that he just quoted, since both verses refer back to the promise of Genesis twenty two seventeen. 17. That promise is this, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So he's trying to tie all this together for us. 
So we understand, you know, this, this tapestry, this beautiful tapestry of God's plan for our salvation. When faced with rebellious Israel, God's first word must be judgment. At the right time, God will act swiftly and decisively. Those are the words he uses here to judge uh, sin. That's verse 28. God will act swiftly and decisively to judge sin. Now, if you go back to the book of Isaiah and read it, Isaiah adds the phrase overflowing in righteousness. God will swiftly and decisively judge sin overflowing in righteousness. God's judgment is always overflowing in righteousness. Always. He is the perfect and righteous judge. Now, the story Paul has told here in chapter 9 is the story of what it means for Israel to be the people of the crucified Messiah. And this is an interesting part of God's strange purpose of election. Israel, this answers the question, what's the purpose of Israel anyway? You know, why do they even matter? Why does it matter that Jesus came from Israel and all these things? Well, here's a, a strong reason why it matters. Israel has been called to be the place where sin gathers itself into one place in order to be dealt with at last. Israel is the people through whom the evil of the world is funneled down on the representative Messiah, Jesus Christ. Just think about that for a moment. All the evil of the world and sin of the world funneled down onto Jesus Christ. He took it all upon himself on the cross. The story of Abraham's family through the exodus, then the exile, all the way to Messiah himself is a story of the cross casting its shadow ahead of it. It's all pointing to the cross, all of it. The judgment on Israel, including its hardening and unbelief, is the result of God's purpose that Messiah Jesus would bear all the weight of the world's sin and death by himself. It all pointed to him. And then out of judgment will emerge a remnant of Israel to be saved. This remnant will be the true seed and children of God promised to Abraham. And then if it had not been for this, Israel would have ended up like Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what our text says today. And you can go back and read about Sodom and Gomorrah. Those cities were utterly destroyed for their great and terrible sin. You think things are bad today in this world. Go back and read that. It's not that bad here yet. I mean, that was bad. And God utterly destroyed them for it. So Paul has told the story of Israel from Abraham to the promises of return from exile. And at every point of the story, he's declaring that God's true covenant people are not all of Abraham's physical family, but only those he decided to have mercy on in order to be faithful to his promises. All of Israel, like all the Gentile world, is guilty of sin. And if God simply left Israel to itself, not only would it have ceased to exist a long time ago, 
But the promises made through Abraham to the world would have never come to pass. And so he's explained how God's righteousness requires that he deal justly with sin. And he's now going to explain how that same righteousness and his faithfulness to the covenant generates a worldwide family characterized by faith in Jesus as Messiah and in God's raising him from the dead. So let's look at verse 30. And we see in verses 30 through 33, as we wrap up, that salvation is attained by grace through faith alone. Verses 30 through 33. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as, that, but as it, if it were based on works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and who ble whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, this is really something. Pay attention here. This is really something. We Gentiles, who really weren't interested in belonging to God's covenant at all. I mean, we really weren't. Maybe a few. But we were just kind of bebopping along. You know, living life. Not interested in all this Jewish stuff. Matter of fact, it's really strange. And my parents uh, observed the Passover Seder with us for the first time. My dad was hilarious. He's just like, what is this? <laughs> this is strange. And we're just kind of like happy in our own ungodly beliefs and practices. We're minding our own business, us Gentiles. You know, making idols and temples and all this stuff. We weren't interested in all that Jewish stuff and covenant covenant and all that just kind of going along but now we've received covenant membership in jesus too whoa really that's amazing i wasn't even going after that that's what paul's saying here only this membership is not just by us keeping the jewish law no this membership into the covenant is by faith by faith. Our membership in God's covenant by faith is the central point here. It, it all comes down to this. We, we have the covenant blessings and membership by faith in Jesus Christ, all of us who believe. That's the main point. But poor Israel finds itself in the opposite situation. How bad is that? Like Israel's not found what it was seeking. Man, I mean, think about it. The more Israel clung to the law, the more it found that evil lay close at hand. That's what Paul's been teaching. And that covenant membership cannot be had that way. You're not going to get there with that. That's not the way. In verses 30 and 31, you know, you can see it. It's a cruel irony that those most determined to achieve the goal of attaining the covenant promises by law keeping are the ones who never reach it that is a cruel irony 
The more they strive, the further they walk from it. They'll never reach it that way. While us Gentiles, just strolling along in the opposite direction, find ourselves getting there all at once. Like, hey, we got it. We believed. We're there. Jesus, yes. I believe. I love you. I trust you. I'm saved. I have eternal life. All at once. Just like that. Now, why, Paul asks, why? Verse 32. I love the way he goes back and forth with the questions, because these are the questions we ask in our mind. It's like, why, Paul? How can these things be? Why? Here's the answer. Don't miss it. Don't miss the answer. They were not pursuing it by faith, but by works. Israel often falls short and fails to receive their blessings because of what? Their lack of faith. Go back and read the accounts of the Israelites. Why did they wander in the wilderness for 40 years? Lack of faith. Why did the original people that came out of the exodus of Egypt not go into the land? Lack of faith. Over and over and over again, lack of faith. And so in verse 33, Paul points out here that what Israel did by pursuing the law, the Torah, and, and not attaining to it was like tripping. You ever, you know, you're walking along, especially like, okay, this is a good analogy. You know, they're, they're walking along, they're striving, they're working so hard, and then boom, they just trip. They stumble and they're stumbling. Says they haven't fallen like to the ground, you know, like desolate, but they've tripped. You know, they were working along, humming along, boom, they tripped over this stumbling stone. It's like a tripping up. They were plowing along, working hard, and they stumbled over this large stone. Some of you kids, you know, you you're do that, you're in the yard sometimes, and you're running along, and then boom, you stumble over something really large, and you're like falling forward, right? That's what the, the image of Israel here, or like me at night, you know, I'm going through my, you know, my boy's room after I put him to bed and, and I stumble over the Legos and, you know, the toys on the ground. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Yeah. Lego foot and everything. So I have stumbled. It hurts, right? You know, this disorientation. It's like, what's happening? I'm stumbling along. That's the image of Israel here. They're working so hard. They're striving along and then Suddenly they're stumbling and they, they stumbled over this stone, a large stone. The stone had tripped them up. Now, you would think, okay, who put the stone there? It was probably some demon, right? Or some, some bad guy like Satan or demon that put the stone there to trip up all Israel. But no, God put the stone there. They're tripped up on the stumbling stone placed by God himself. Now, what's the stumbling stone? Is it the law or is it something else? What is it? The stumbling, the stumbling stone spoken of here is Jesus. It's through faith in Jesus that the goal of the law is attained. That's what we see clearly right here. It's through faith in Jesus that the goal of the law is attained. 
So when Israel continued to live under the law, sin lay close at hand. And we can only begin to understand these truths in the light of what has already been said about God's purpose for Israel. God's intention all along was that Israel should be the Messiah's people according to the flesh. And like the Messiah himself, they should be cast away that the world might be redeemed. So you see all this imagery being played out. We're going to get into it more in chapter 10 and 11. <clears throat> and so how does all this apply to us today? Well, we should pay close attention to this as the church of God. You know, we are saved into God's family by faith alone in Christ alone. No amount of our own works will achieve salvation and covenant promises for us either. You know, it, you know, it's easy to point the finger at Israel and say, see, you know, all that Torah keeping, you should have known that that wasn't the way to, to salvation and covenant blessings. You should have read the prophet. You know, we can wag our finger all day long. But boy, don't we set up those own, our own systems in our minds for working our way to God? Of course we do. And if you're not careful, you'll fall into the same trap that they did, and you will stumble over the stumbling stone. I see a lot of people do this, like, oh, yes, Jesus, but then they get kind of bored with that. It's like, okay, well, I got to do something else then. It's got to be something else, like, well, church attendance or, you know, giving or serving in a certain way, or, you know, I've got all of these things, God, that gives, that makes me righteous, and puts me in a good standing before you. So that when you come to the throne of God's grace, you know, you, you've got this laundry list of look at all these great things I do, God. Look at all these great things I do for God. And you, you're, you're doing the same thing. But be careful not to point. Be careful to keep your heart right with the Lord. God cares about our heart. He cares that we're trusting in him alone for salvation and that we love him with all of our heart soul mind and strength and we love our neighbor as ourselves and that we don't build up lists of self-righteous acts that we do to justify ourselves before him you know, kids you might think well i'm a good i'm a good boy i'm a good girl you know i do what mom tells me to do and i go to church with them on sunday and for these all these reasons are why you know god i'm good with god those are all good things and yes, we should obey. Yes, we should come to, you know, worship. Yes, all of these things are good things, but they don't save you from the outside in. They flow out of a heart of love and worship. Don't miss that. The heart is where it has to start. And they flow out of a heart of love and worship. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians one twenty-three. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, which would be Gentiles and us, foolishness. But, so a stumbling block and foolishness to the world, but to those who are called, see the word again, called, the effective calling of God, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger 
than men. So when your coworkers think you're stupid, ask that Jesus freak Ryan again. He's always saying that stuff. He's pastor, Bible boy. He has to do that anyway. He's a pastor. He's just one of those Jesus guys. That's stupid stuff, right? It's foolishness to them. You know, you people in your community, oh, there's that guy with the Jesus flag in his yard. Let's go steal the Jesus flag. Get on his nerves. My brother was telling me he had two Jesus flags stolen in his yard. I'm like, don't they know they're going to hell for that? <laughs> Joking around. Like, you know, there, there's that Jesus guy again, that Jesus gal again. All she does is preach, right? It's foolishness to the world. But the weakness of God is stronger than men. <clears throat> and the foolishness of God is wiser than men. So as Gentile believers here today, let's humbly and triumphantly praise our great God, who by his abundant mercy and grace, he's chosen us for himself. By faith in Christ today, we can have eternal life. And I just beg of you, if there's anyone here today who's stumbling over Jesus, and he seems to you to be the rock of offense, I pray you'll turn from your unbelief today and trust him by faith and receive the abundant and eternal life he has waiting for all who believe. As the word says, the scripture says, whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame.